TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. What does the future hold for St. Louis and how do we get there? This is Nothing Impossible on KMOX. How do we get there? That's what the show's about. Michael Calhoun with... With Travis Sheridan. You know... Where is there? Like, now it becomes very esoteric. How do we get there? Where is there? A better future. Like, a better future driven by innovation. Yeah. Hopefully it could happen. And a better future for St. Louis, specifically driven by St. Louisans. Uh, So this week on our innovation show, we're going to introduce you to, first of all, a program at Harris-Stowe State University that is aimed at really allowing St. Louisans in mass to take advantage of and get into the geospatial industry to get those skills that this uh, industry of the future for St. Louis, that's also... Just this really high tech, uh, you know, whiz bang kind of an industry used uh, everything from the GPS on your phone to what's happening in Ukraine. And so we're going to hear about that. You know, what's interesting about geospatial is you know, we we forget that it's not new to St. Louis, that it has been here. The NGA has been here for what, since the 50s or 60s or something along those lines. Yet, you know, they didn't really have as much of an impact when you look at where they were in Soulard. Right, and when their where their original uh, location was, but this is an opportunity to, to reimagine what it means to have a government agency, governmental agency in your city, and how that can spur growth and development for more people. Instead of just this, um, you know, walled off compound, really having an anchor for the neighborhood and for the industry in St. Louis. So Carol Daniel will have that interview for us, and then we're going to take you to Cortex and talk to Matt Homan from Filament. Yeah, we've uh, we've had Matt on the show a few times. Uh, it, you know, they do uh, like highly engaging meetings, but they're actually evolving their business model a bit, making it more programmatic, open to the public, and taking up some space within the Cortex Innovation Community. Which, in this age of remote working, is a big question. What happens to all of this space that's been built? And if we want to continue to build out the Cortex District, this is a unique way to think about in-person working and the interactions that you have between the human beings in the office, not just typing messages on Slack. Well, and, you know, speaking of spaces like Cortex or really any of our innovation spaces around the region, uh, they need startups. And where are these startups coming from? We're going to talk a little bit about a new fund that was created uh, related to Washington University that is actually funding early stage companies so we can get more of these companies launching, growing, scaling, and taking up space. What are the ideas that WashU students have? What are the problems that they see and what are the solutions that they come up with? So I can't wait to hear about these student-led startups from WashU. So that's all coming up. We got a full show, a lot of things about what's now and what's next in St. Louis. That's what we talk about on Nothing Impossible. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. 
news. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Dr. Carmel Martin Ferry, and I'm an assistant professor of biology. What is bioinformatics? All right, so bioinformatics is the marriage of all things biological with computational science. And so computational sciences can include computer, IT, coding, data science. We marry that with biological processes. And what do we get? Ah, we get really easy ways to deal with big data. So we get answers to really complex questions that could involve genetics, the genome, why do certain phenotypes appear in certain populations and not others. We could get answers to really complex questions about pharmacogenetics and why specific populations um, respond to different drugs in different ways. We can also get information about all of the many processes in the brain why they happen, when they happen, and predict, potentially, outcomes for certain individuals. I'm thinking of Alzheimer's, Yes. more women than men. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of stroke, more African Americans than Caucasians. Absolutely. All of those things. All of those things, and many more. So we can not only look at those things individually, with the big data sets that we have using tools from bioinformatics, we can actually blend them and find out the intricate relationships between them and hopefully make people healthier, society healthier. So many things, the end result is, ah, here's a drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them is it's, here's a drug. For others though, so we think about agriculture, it could be here's a plant. It could be here's a diet. It could be here's a specific tailored medicinal and holistic path to better health as well. Is it such a new field that we haven't seen any aha moments or no? I would say no. I'd say many more aha moments to come as it's getting more and more interdisciplinary. Um, 
But when we look at just the fact that the human genome is completely sequenced at this point, now that does give us more power. So before we had to fill the gaps with guesses. Now we have all of the specific instructions, so all of the outcomes can be a lot more impactful. I would add breast cancer to this because we already know about a particular gene. Mm -hmm. Did that development come out of bioinformatics or no? I would say the BRCA gene, right? Yep, the BRCA gene. So the development, not so much, but now that we know that that gene itself, we can study it on huge population data sets. In the past, without bioinformatics, it was limited. It was lab by lab or even just consortium by consortium, but now it can be a global study. Can we use bioinformatics even now as we try to understand the evolving coronavirus? You knew where I was going, didn't you? (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. We definitely can. And so, and and in fact, it's already being used. And I would say part of what we know from bioinformatics could definitely help influence and inform vaccines, boosters, all of that data is being collected and we can now look at it and use it to make predictors on you know, maybe one day we will know exactly how many boosters you need to obtain a certain type of immunity. And not only the vaccine, but the efficacy between different populations. And we can also look at the um, infection rates. So we can look at all of that using bioinformatics now. We can blend all of those really, really rich data sets that are still being collected, and even those that were collected in 2019 compared to 2020, and and get lots of valuable information. I like it that you use the phrase rich data sets because I was going to use the phrase with you, garbage in, garbage out. And does that? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the many things that we know about bioinformatics is, not only within the realm of genomics, we know there's a lot of DNA out there, but a huge percentage of that DNA, we don't know what it does, or we think it might not do anything. There's only a small percentage of all the DNA that's out there that <clears throat> is thought to be really involved in many processes. But now with the tools of bioinformatics, we can start to unfold what some of those maybe missed meanings or missed functions could be. Um, But we do want to be careful about the data sets that come in. So when we think about that being careful, it's not just the quality of the data, but it's also the diversity of the data. And so that is something where what we're doing here at Harris State University, we want to diversify the world of bioinformatics so that when we have the table where everyone is deciding on which data sets are included and which populations we are are targeting, that that data set is rich with all of the diverse populations. And so African Americans are um, usually in every study underrepresented. So then that means the outcomes that we have for what we do are limited for the African American community. And so by having a more diverse set of people at that table to inform those decisions, then we can have a better, more enriched data set that will be a lot more impactful for more communities and more um, populations across the globe. I feel like we are, we would, we are so far behind 
in trying to create diversity in in research and and studies and therefore data mm-hmm. because we still are trying to represent women yes in research and data Absolutely. And so when we look at the most data sets and even most research that's published, um, even when we're using animal models for most of our history of even doing research, it's been focused on the male model. They use male animals only? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yes, absolutely. And so one of the reasons we didn't use female models is because females have a cycle. They have a menstrual cycle, a periodicity about them that the male models don't have. And sometimes those studies would exclude female animal models and they would say because of the complexity of their hormonal system. And so we know that any research done solely on males is not really that informative for females. It's not that informative for atypical males. And so we need to really look at representation there and making sure that not only in the animal model systems, but of course in our human models as well, that we have that really, really rich mm-hmm. data set, including both in equal numbers. And you know, so the sex is one thing or gender is one thing. I will say sex. <laughs> um, because it, it definitely informs drugs work differently in men than they do Absolutely. in women. And when you look at things like BRCA and when you look at breast cancer and prostate cancer and lung cancer, we have different morbidity rates in males versus females. And sometimes there can be a stigma, especially for breast cancer in men. But when we look at the populations who we're doing the research with, it really does skew to one sex or the other. And it's important for us to get away from that. What is happening here at Harris-Stowe with bioinformatics? So this summer, we are doing a bioinformatics boot camp. We have one week where we focus solely on undergraduate students from Harris-Stowe. We pour into them all of the basic skills and information about what bioinformatics is. So it's an educational launch into a really deep pool. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we have faculty. We have faculty who are engaged with all of our Harrisville Hornets to make sure that they feel supported through the journey. But it's really a splash in the pool for them. So we give them some um, exposure to coding. We're using Python. We give them some exposure to the genetic code and how there are many genetic applications for bioinformatics. And we do that by exposing diverse groups of students. So we have business majors, health management, biology, psychology, um, and accounting. So that way we really get a wide breadth of this is how you can apply bioinformatics in your chosen career. Bioinformatics is truly very, very interdisciplinary. And so they learn from each other because of their own affinity groups. They all have a different vantage point. We learn from them, so we're adjusting um, sort of how deep we can go into the water every day with them. But they come out of it knowing a lot more about bioinformatics and themselves and their place in the field right away that first week. 
The second week, we invite high school students. So we have now a group of high schoolers, I call it Hornets and High Schoolers edition. And those Hornets that we just trained up the week before are now near peer mentors for the high schoolers. So they're gonna bestow everything that they learned and they're also continuing to discover. The idea behind the courses and the the platform we set up for them is they can actually get a certificate in just the coursework itself. And so we've gotten a really, really great uh, funder, United Health Foundation, who has given the university $2 million to lay out our boot camp, but also to establish a bioinformatics certificate here at the university. And so having psychology, biology, business, we can take those students who have a clear trajectory and introduce them to just one other sort of add-on credential that can really make a difference for internships, fellowships, and of course diversifying the bioinformatic pipeline. So after we do sort of <clears throat> our boot camp, we have our students coalesce in affinity groups. And these affinity groups are really designed so the Hornets and the high schoolers are sort of connected. And we hope that they'll come back to Harris-Stowe for the high schoolers and for the Hornets. We want to make sure they have an even broader range for success and opportunities beyond the Hornets' nest. This kind of thing, I would imagine they can walk right down the street to NGAs. You already, you see, again, you know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can. They absolutely can. Um, so my husband is actually a data analyst at NGA. And uh, one of the things we talk about is the fact that, you know, this credential by itself is enough to launch an entire career. And so I, I know a lot of our generation of students, high school and undergraduate, aren't as versed in the fact that one credential can do that much for you. Um, but UHF is also offering fellowships and internships and is offered to invest in our students even as they get their uh, um, degrees here at the university. And so we also take some time during this boot camp to give them exposure to not all, because it's so vast, but some of the really, really nuanced experiences they can have. And the, um, the pay is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> what, what have you said to them? So there are positions that with the certificate um, they can get anywhere from 90000 to, I want to say, uh, 600K. Just starting with, a, with this certificate? Starting with this certificate. So if they start with a certificate, that's entry level. We've exposed them to companies who will pay them to get a graduate degree, that will pay them to get the master's all the way up to the Ph.D., and if you continue along that journey, and there, you know, it's not one straight path. But if you continue along that journey, you can potentially come out with six figures pretty easily. And understanding that St. Louis is shrinking, and I mean the region. Yeah. I know people focus on the city, but the region is shrinking. Mm -hmm. Understanding that, this is a clear way to get young people to stay here and plant. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the main... Um, one of the main objectives we have as far as giving them exposures is we're really starting local. 
we want to give them exposures to the new credentials they can use and get from this one certificate, but companies that are based right in their backyard. And then we also have entrepreneurs who could turn this certificate into consulting and, and an entire business on it on its own. And so we want to support them as well. We definitely have at least two in, in entrepreneur majors within our cohort. And so really stoking the fire for them in that if you lay a really great groundwork, there isn't necessarily a no. There's just a different decision in how you want to apply it. There's just a yes over here or yes over yes, there. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And we want them to do yes here first. <laughs> is this a first summer for this boot it camp? It is, it is. It's, it's an inaugural, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the inaugural boot camp. And I definitely think we have a great group of students. We have a great group of high schoolers and uh, Hornets. They complement each other really, really well. So we're very, very grateful for that. Um, and the support that we get from our funder, UHF, has definitely not only just been financial, but um, Billikis has been really, really transformative in establishing a relationship with our students. They really, really just kind of latched on to her from the minute she hit the stage. So, And tell me one last thing, you. You've been here how long? What do you do at Harris Stowe? Okay, so I am a, just me. (laughs) I'm an assistant professor. Um, My first semester here was a semester before COVID. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I feel I am a COVID credentialed professor. Uh, So that means uh, two years really is more like eight. (laughs) Um, But I I teach... um, cell biology, neuroscience. So I'm a trained neuroscientist. That's my that's my niche field. Um, and behavioral neuroscience. So I'm really trying to bring our hornets into the neuroscience world. Um, anatomy and physiology, getting our, our nursing and physicians ready for that next step. And um, genetics. Wow. Yeah. That is. And are you a St. Louisan? No, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, so well. So I'm a transplant. <laughs> Thank you for planting. Thank you. It's one thing falling in love with a house, and quite another navigating the world of negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. Guidance from an agent who's a Realtor can make all the difference, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing impossible on KMOX. All right, we are joined right now by a friend, colleague, and all-around good guy in St. Louis, Matt Homan, who is the uh, CEO and founder, one of the co-founders of Filament. They uh, have a, had a space in downtown St. Louis for a while, but Matt, I understand a moving van is coming, and you're uh, headed west, young man. We are headed west to the Cortex District. We're taking over the space that was formerly known as Innovation Hall on the first floor of the 4220 building. Oh, that's been a huge space, and you've already been a part of a big high-profile section of St. Louis being downtown and uh, Washington Avenue. So, so tell us about this move. Why is this happening? We had an opportunity to kind of center ourselves here in the Innovation District uh, that is Cortex, and uh, we couldn't pass it up. We've loved our space on Washington Avenue. We had nearly 20,000 square feet of space down there. Uh, but to have a chance to be in the middle of this high-profile district uh, and in this first floor, it was really too good to pass up. 
Uh, and it allows us to do a lot more programming, uh, things focused on both tenants here in the district, people in the Central West End, as well as the community at large. And so the, you know, the graphics outside currently say Innovation Hall, but I'm assuming they'll say something along the lines of Filament or Filament at Cortex. What are some of the programs you have planned that might be different in Cortex than you maybe have done downtown? Well, one thing we're doing, and I've talked with you all about this last year, we're bringing the Thanksgiving initiative to the district. So uh, we expect to have 50 or more nonprofits paired with innovation and strategy teams from big companies all here in the district all at once. Uh, So that's uh, 500 to maybe 1,000 people all engaged at once. Uh, We're doing an initiative called NSFW, which is our abbreviation for New Skills for Work, (laughs) an opportunity to teach uh, some of those job skills uh, to primarily younger folks who might not learn how to facilitate a meeting, how to whiteboard an idea, things like that. Uh, We have a thing called Saturday School, which we're working to pair entrepreneurs with innovators uh, from companies and educators. Uh, So a chance to do some problem solving and just fundamentally to build as many kind of cool, creative, engaging, collaborative experiences we can, both for the people who work and live in the district, uh, as well as those who are serving St. Louis writ large. You said NSFW. I uh, found the dump button here on the board (laughs) and was ready to hit it at any moment, Matt. So (laughs) in case the people don't know what NSFW means. I, I may not be the smartest guy, but I do love to name things in fun ways. So, yeah, new skills for work, I promise. Not not safe for work. Well, these new That's skills correct. would actually be very safe They'd for work. They'd be fantastic yeah. for work. They'd be exactly what the workplace calls for. So we'd love to hear more about uh, this Innovation Hall space. If people haven't seen it, you know, it was built and Venture Cafe initially ran it, uh, was responsible for managing it. And so, you know, what does this involve? What is this space? And, and uh, is it going to be mostly programmed activities? Is it still going to be open for, you know, people to rent it or to, to go in and work? Uh, what's, what, tell us a little bit about Innovation Hall, the space itself. So Innovation Hall is roughly about 10,000 square feet. Uh, It includes a space that was formerly known as Assembly, uh, which was kind of a traditional conference room with the the dividers uh, down the middle. Uh, Also includes a space that was otherwise known as a Civic Lounge, which was that public drop-in space. Uh, We are going to be taking all of that over as well as the patio area just outside of the Assembly. Uh, what that means for us is that it's going to be delivering both a mix of this programming as well as our traditional services. We do meetings, retreats, conferences, offsites, that sort of thing. And so we're going to be using this as filament. We'll be able to deliver strategy, uh, work around culture, uh, focus on innovations with both the mix of the big companies and the nonprofits that we serve. And so the community space uh, that was once the large civic lounge is going to be Uh, And I don't know that this is formally announceable yet, uh, but a large company in town uh, has sponsored a spot near the coffee shop. They're going to add a little conference room there, and it's going to be called the Think Space. So there'll still be a public area here uh, for folks who just want to pop in, answer some emails, uh, suck up some of the really good Wi-Fi. Uh, but otherwise, that space that was once public is going to be dedicated to our services and our programming. Well, Matt, we often in the startup community talk about pivots, but this isn't necessarily a pivot for Filament. It's more of an evolution of the offering where most of the engagement has been for private clients and you have to you know, be engaged with Filament in order to um, you know, experience Filament. But it sounds like a lot of this now is becoming some, you're adding some public programming as well. That's exactly right. There has always been part of our mission and our focus is to serve the community, to engage with nonprofits, to help educators and entrepreneurs. 
the challenge we had downtown, and as much as we loved our amazing space and are going to miss it, quite frankly, uh, we didn't have a lot of foot traffic around. Uh, we didn't have lots of companies who had headquarters down there. So to be in the middle of several thousand uh, workers, uh, assuming they all come back to the offices at some point, uh, is going to be a benefit for us because it built, gives us a built-in audience for our programming that we didn't really have downtown uh, as much as we wish we would. We're talking with Matt Homan from Filament, which is moving to Cortex. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know, how Cortex is these days and just generally zooming out a little bit when it comes to folks going back to the office, when it comes to people being in these districts, in these buildings. Obviously, lab work is one of those where people go in almost no matter what. But in other cases, we've seen a lot of working from home, remote, uh, you know, kind of workspaces. And so what do you think is the prospect for Cortex? And is this an example of how some of the space can be filled, not necessarily by just somebody sitting in a cubicle? I, I think that uh, everyone obviously is still trying to figure it out. One of the things that we've learned uh, when we have done this, you know, three plus years, I think by the time we get done with COVID uh, experiment in working from home and hybrid work is that so much of our work uh, that used to be quote unquote face to face was stuff we learned we could do equally well sitting at home uh, in our offices or at our kitchen table. What that means is that when you want people to be in the room face to face coming together, uh, you've got to make those experiences dramatically more compelling. Uh, certainly from our perspective, Meetings are one of those things that if it's just driven by a PowerPoint slide and one person talking at the front of the room, uh, I don't need to be there for that. Uh, but if you start to think about how we make those in-person experiences vital, do things in the room we can only do together, uh, companies who figure that out uh, and who do it well are going to see their people want to be in the office versus working from home. Uh, and then also from us, the people who have getting, gotten rid of their offices, who have decided that they're going to be entirely virtual it makes their in-person engagements even more crucial. So we'll be repurposing, at least for the next year, and change our space downtown uh, into something that we're going to be building out as a retreat week offering. So for companies who've given up that offices who want to bring all of their employees in, 25, 50, or 100, to work side-by-side, -side, shoulder to shoulder for an entire week, uh, we think we're going to have a turnkey offering from that. Uh, so we can continue to actually use the space downtown for a bit while we make the transition here to Cortex. All very exciting stuff. Matt, when does programming begin within the Cortex Innovation Community? Uh, we are trying to figure out when our furniture gets here. So we have a little <laughs> bit of build-out of the Innovation Hall space. Uh, most of that will be done in the next month and a half or so. Uh, we expect all of our furniture to be here about that same time. Uh, but we're thinking really soft launch over the next month and a half, uh, grand opening in September. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, we'll be launching uh, on November 3rd, Thanksgiving. We expect, you know, 500 to 1,000 people here. So uh, we'll be here uh, kind of bi-coastal between here and our space downtown for the next month and a half or so. But uh, we've not, we, we can't imagine having been welcomed with more open arms than uh, the Cortex team, uh, the Wexford staff, and everyone here. It's been really amazing. Well, congratulations on the move. We look forward to seeing you in the neighborhood more and more. We've been talking with Matt Homan, the founder of Filament. Matt, thanks for joining us. It has been my pleasure. Have a great, uh, have a great weekend. Can't wait to see you here at Filament. And stay tuned. We've got more Nothing Impossible right after this. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Well, as we continue, we always love to get the scoop on what the newest ideas are coming out of St. Louis incubators, startup spaces, and our universities, Travis. Yeah, not only what ideas, but how are those ideas 
getting funded, maybe even some seed funding to get them off the ground. Mm-hmm. So let's get the latest on 17 students at the Olin Business School at WashU who've uh, received a grant from the Whole Camp Seed Fund. Joining us now is the Director of Entrepreneurship at the Olin Business School at Washington University in St. Louis, Doug Villard. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. My pleasure to be here. So, Doug, tell us, first of all, about the uh, this Whole Camp Seed Fund and how did that get started? Yeah, wonderful. So um, I'm a professor at the Olin Business School at WashU, and we, through generous uh, alumni, we have uh, the Whole Camp family, we have the Whole Camp Seed Fund, and what it's designed to do is to put the first $1,000 into any student that has an idea at WashU. So pretty exciting when, when students have an idea and they want to start a business and they're pretty sure they want to move forward there's these initial costs of like setting up an llc and getting a domain name and setting up your website and um, the whole camp family wanted to help students cross that barrier by being the first thousand dollars in on their business so that they could get going so it's a really really neat program and we're proud to have it so we're looking at the 2022 Hold Camp Seed Fund recipients and walk us through some of them. We always love, Doug, to hear about the, you know, the specific ideas that some of these startups have. So introduce us to some of them. Yeah, so um, so uh, there's so many great innovations coming out of WashU, and, um, and I think we should feel really good that this next generation wants to solve problems and wants to start companies and wants to create jobs. So it's fun to see uh, this continue. Just a couple of fun ones. Um, there's two uh, that have opened in Clayton here. One is called Honeymoon Chocolates, and one is called Ice Cream for Bears, and they're in partnership in Clayton. And they're, it's a really neat store that you can drop by, Honeymoon Chocolates. What they both do is um, they use honey. So instead of using sugar, uh, the chocolate and the ice cream use honey instead. And I don't, I don't know if you guys have had the pleasure of trying it yet, but, uh, but not yet. No. Love for you, too. Yeah, really, really neat innovation there. And um, is it healthy? Is it healthy? Well, it's healthier, <laughs> healthier, <laughs> if you will. So, um, so that's great. We so we have consumer products like that, uh, food. In fact, we also have some really high tech products. Like there's a company called PCB. This is Tyler out of the engineering school, and I can't tell you everything about it. All your listeners, it's confidential, but it's a new, um, innovative way, actually revolutionary way to make circuit boards. So almost all electronics have circuit boards, and and today they're almost always made in China. And part of part of that is cost, but part of that is this real chemical process that they do that isn't isn't as environmentally friendly. Tyler's got a new way to do it that is environmentally friendly and could bring those jobs and that production back to the United States. So that's one to watch. That would be that would be really big, <laughs> really big if what? that one works off. So. Proud to fund that. Go ahead. Oh, what are some of the industries uh, that you're seeing? Are there any trends? Uh, consumer products. We've seen yeah. more of those come out of, uh, you know, the accelerator programs, etc., than we've seen in previous years. But um, you know, I, I see one that's about a clothing exchange, used clothing exchange. I mean, what what are some of the trends these days in the ideas that are coming forth? Seeing two things. If in in a little bit of a is generalizing, but the younger the student, you might see things like clothing or innovations related to social media or challenges and such that they're living in daily lives. But our older students, like our MBA students closer to 30, 
might see more industry specific ones like the um, like the circuit board one I was just talking about. Many innovations in healthcare, many um, innovations in tutoring um, for students, um, and another one, uh, Dave and Tova MBA students that just graduated. So they instead of instead of getting uh, really high paying jobs out in the field, as many of our MBA students do, they decided to start a company here in St. Louis and stay in St. Louis called Vertigreens, where they are um, doing vertical farming. So they're helping um, St. Louis restaurants and also um, cafeterias like on Wash U and such source lettuce locally rather than, you know, um, driving them from, uh, you know, places places like Mexico and others and putting different preservatives on them to, to survive the, the uh, truck ride, but having them grown locally here and fresh and healthy and safe. So it just, uh, it just depends on the students, but you do see a lot more outside of consumer products, especially with our older students. Doug, did you mention tutoring was one of the areas? Yeah, I did. Uh, benchmark um, Benchmark Learning is is one of our um, startups out of Washington. This is a student who he's still in school, still in school, and um, has raised several hundred thousand dollars to go after new ways of doing tutoring. And our students, especially during COVID, and especially grade school students, and especially in some underprivileged areas, have fallen behind. Um, in terms of their learning, and he has partnerships with mostly with under underprivileged school systems to uh, help catch those kids back up uh, using online tutors. So just just a lot of great innovations. Well, there, he uh, he better be careful. There's a pretty good competitor slash uh, alum in the neighborhood that uh, could yeah, be an acquisition that, partner, huh? Yeah, how about that? Yeah, so uh, he's, he's he's talking about Nerdy, uh, which is which is um, a company goes varsity tutors out of WashU, um, one of our unicorns, billion dollar valuation. Yes, I know. I'm very aware. <laughs> I'm very aware, and uh, we'll be looking for partnerships for sure. Well, Doug, as you as you see this, you know this thousand dollars. Many people probably think a thousand dollars couldn't be significant enough to actually make a difference. Do the students have to articulate, you know, how they plan on using these dollars and what impact they think it could have to their business or their idea? Yeah, they do. And um, by the way, when you are when you've come up with an original business, it doesn't matter whether you're a student or adult or anyway. You're you're vulnerable, you know, to share it. You're not sure if people are going to like it or not. You know, you're kind of like afraid to have it come out of your mouth. So what's fun, what's fun for these folks is they have to put together a pitch deck. They have to articulate it. And then there's a group of us that, that evaluate it to award this prize. So it is $1,000. And whether that's a lot or not, it does cover those startups expenses that I mentioned. But it's, but it's also this accolade that says you might be on to something. Mm. And I think it's that that the whole camp family likes more than anything is say, you know what, let's help them take that first step forward and tell them you might be onto something, go for it. And that's, I think that's really the beauty of this program. Doug, as we finish up, we've just got about a minute left, but what's the interest in this been over the last uh, few years, especially are, are more students interested in technology and startups and, and being entrepreneurs? Is it uh, growing? Is it shrinking? Is it, uh, you know, how would you characterize it now? Well, this, um, it, it, it's hard. It's, um, it's not that it's growing. It's that it's like this compounding growth. So when we started this program um, just a year or two ago, I think there were eight um, applicants or so, and now we're doing 17. So we've doubled here just a year or two on this particular program. But when you look campus-wide, when you look campus-wide, there's somewhere in any given time now around 400 student ideas 
that are being battered around. And, um, you know, we're focusing on 17 here, but 400 of them reaching some sense of whether or not they want to go forward with this or, or whether it makes sense or, or, or et cetera, as they get feedback. And often they fail. They say, you know what, this isn't going to work. But then it's their second one or their third one that ends up getting funded going forward. So innovation is thriving right now. And, um, and Wash U and St. Louis is a great place to be. Well, Doug Villard is the director of the Entrepreneurship Program at Olin Business School at Washington University in St. Louis. And you can check out the Olin blog on the uh, WashU website if you want to read about the uh, ideas that have uh, been given grants from the Whole Camp Seed Fund. And thank you so much, Doug, for giving us the scoop on this. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you all for joining us this week on Nothing Impossible. Come back next week. We'll talk about more innovation, what's now and what's next in St. Louis. Download the podcast on the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.